you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. I just felt like singing it with the opera chick. Uh, you know it's a classy show when they hire an opera chick to uh, come in and do the audio bit. Of course, for 15 years, I've gotten tired of saying it. So we finally hired someone two weeks ago. So there you go, folks. We're spending big money on this show to hire opera singers. In fact, there's a rumor that we just might make the whole show an opera show where both myself and my guests have to do the whole show in operatic fashion uh, and wear ballet shoes, and they have to sing all their answers and uh, I'll have to sing all the questions. So there you go. Uh, for 15 years, we've been bringing you the smartest minds, the most brilliant people on the show, uh, the billionaires, the CEOs, the authors, the Pulitzer Prize winners, the astronauts, you name it. We brought some of the most amazing people on the show, and we're bringing it to you three to four times a weekday, 15 to 20 times a week if you're not keeping up remember we're seeing some low scores on saturday so some of you are failing the test that we keep putting out so uh, see if you can play catch up quit your job you know uh leave the wife and kids whatever you need to do just so you get you listen to every podcast we're putting out every week i'm just kidding folks you can listen to half of them but i don't know maybe you should leave the wife and kids i don't know we work it out with your psychiatrist uh but that's why we do the show so people learn about human nature and stuff uh go to goodreads.com for says chris foss linkedin.com for says chris foss youtube.com for says chris foss and chris foss one on the tickety talkity over there with the kids uh today we have an amazing multi-book author uh he is put out his latest book called the rigor of angels borges heisenberg kant and the ultimate nature of reality wait we're going to talk about reality today wow I might, uh, I might, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I probably should be in living in reality. But uh, as you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's a joke there somewhere, but I'm not going to get into it. August 29th, 2023, this book came out. William Eginton is on the show with us today. He is a prolific author, writer of over 10 books uh, to his credit or more. Uh, he's probably got some in the can he's working on too. So I'm just going to give him a plus credit. Uh, William Egginson is the Decker Professor in Humanities, Chair of the Department of Modern Languages and Literatures, and Director of the Alexander Grass Humanities Institute at John Hopkins University. He is the author of multiple books, including How the World Became a Stage. Wait, was it Shakespeare that made that happen? You have to read the book to find out. Perversity and Ethics. I think that's a book he wrote about me in Vegas. Uh, a Wrinkle in History, The Philosopher's Desire, The Theater of Truth, that's clearly not in the House of Representatives. In the uh, defense, in let me correct that right, in defense of religious moderation, the man who invented fiction, and more. We could go on and on. He's written so many books. People go on Amazon and just punch the buy all button. Welcome to the show, William. How are you? I'm doing really well, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming. We certainly appreciate it. Give us a dot coms. Where do you want people to find you on the interwebs and stalk you? So, williameginton.com. That's probably the easiest way. There you go. Simple and easy. And you can find everything there, folks. Uh, so what motivated you want to write this latest book, Bill? 
I've been writing uh, and thinking about the issues that are in this book, which have to do with philosophy, poetry, the relationship of, of both with, uh, with theoretical physics for the last 30 years. And bit by bit, it started coming out. And it's just, uh, it was a book that had to write itself. So, uh, yeah, been teaching on it as well. Awesome sauce. So this is something you teach in your university courses, talk about these gentlemen? That's exactly right. Yeah. So we uh, teach now at Hopkins every fall, an uh, introductory seminar for first-year students called the First Year Seminar Series, and I'm teaching on this right now, Poets, Physicists, Philosophers, and the Ultimate Nature of Reality. Cool. So give us a 30,000 overview of the book and what's inside, if you would. So three amazing thinkers from radically different fields, one a poet, uh, another a philosopher, a third a, a physicist, all converge on a fundamentally similar idea about space and time and, and, and the ultimate nature of reality and do so without ever having known each other, without, without ever having read each other's work. And that, that idea is, is behind, behind everything. And it's, it's, it's been there for 2,500 years. And people just really haven't been able to articulate it until these three men come along and do so. Ah, so uh, for those people who don't understand, what is the nature of reality? Why why are we studying this? Why is it important? What's the give us a foundation for those of you know people like me who uh, flunk second grade? So when we think of reality, as most of us do, and why wouldn't we, as just something that's out there completely independent of our uh, interpretations of it, mm -hmm. one of the problems is that we are actually already forming it in our mind in certain ways. But when we form that reality in our mind, that it's extended in space, that it's, it, it, it endures in time in a certain kind of methodical way, in fact, what we're doing is we're taking a very specific way that human beings have of inhabiting the world and projecting it out into the world the way the world is, is in of itself. This works for us most of the time, but when we try and do deep science, when we try and do deep philosophy, when we try and think at the, the borders of, of what's thinkable, we end up making serious mistakes. And that's what each of these thinkers ended up figuring out. So it's important to get out of our own mind, uh, you know, the stuff we believe where we, you know, we sometimes uh, some of us, especially me, probably live in their own private Idaho. And, uh, and, and, and you form your, you form your own perceptions and biases of the world. But in reality, that's not many times what the world really is. Is that a kind that's, of where we are going down the right path there? That's that's one of the ways of thinking about it. But, mm -hmm. but really, in some ways, it's even more fundamental than that, because these mm -hmm. uh, we can we can take an example like Albert Einstein, one of the most brilliant, if not perhaps the most brilliant mind of the 20th century. Uh, what this book goes into in some depth is how even with a mind that brilliant, he was still managed to import certain expectations that he had about how the world should be at its most fundamental level mm -hmm. into his science. And as a result, he ended up in really important areas getting things wrong, even though a lot fewer things wrong than most uh, than most people would. There you go. Uh, so w why did you pick these three gentlemen? Uh, and is was there more? Did, did yeah. they maybe, you know, not make the list? You had to kind of cut them like uh, Pluto oh, yes. got cut off of planets. You're like, well, you know, you didn't, you're not making the cut there, buddy. There was there was a big casting and the <laughs> casting went on over years and years and years. I got to tell you, I uh, uh, as I decided I don't know, maybe five or six years back, this idea that I've been teaching about in courses like the cosmic imagination that I've been writing articles about, I think the first article that I wrote on the subject went back uh, 25 years ago. I said, this has got to be a book. It's, it's compelling. It's interesting. Who am I going to include in it? And yeah, you're absolutely right. The first outline for the book ended up with 12 chapters, each of them dedicated to a different thinker. And it was in some ways, it was true to what I was trying to do, but it was also all over the place. And so I really had to pull all the way back. 
And I did at first, and I decided I'm going to try and, and, and do all of these ideas through one person. And that was actually reeling it back in way too far. Uh, mm. And uh, then I realized about 10 years ago, I had published a, a piece in the New York Times um, in the philosophy section of the New York Times called The Stone. And there they were, those exact three thinkers were there. And I said, oh, well, it's been staring me at, you know, in my face the entire time. That's who I need to write the book about. And then it was the process of getting to know them through their biographies and, uh, and living with them for five years. And that was, that was an exciting uh, discovery. There you go. Uh, so uh, can you give us kind of a tease out on, on all three of these people, what they did and, and why they were important? Uh, and, uh, you know, for the lay people out there who aren't, you know, I mean, spent like time like you and I have on Kant, at least, you know, 50,000 hours. We'll start with, we'll start with Immanuel Kant. I'm sure we, those are the number of hours you have to spend on anything to become an expert. That's so, true. That's right. Uh, Immanuel Kant uh, is considered by some to be the modern, uh, the, the, the father of modern philosophy. He's a German, actually Prussian thinker from the late uh, 18th, early 19th century, died in the early 19th century, systematized philosophy. So when we talk about academic philosophy as uh, uh, sort of modes of thinking that were established as in a university curriculum, this is the, the guy who really invented it. He wrote the first, well, literally wrote the book on it. Um, uh, that's uh, the earliest character, uh, chrono chronologically speaking. Then I've got the two others. A physicist, Werner Heisenberg, was uh, the inventor in some ways. I mean, many people contributed, but most made the most important contributions to the development of what's called quantum mechanics and quantum theory, which is the, uh, in some ways, really the most successful scientific theory of the 20th century, perhaps of all of all time. Uh, and uh, really interesting life involved having to make fundamental choices about when to, whether to leave Germany during World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, spoiler alert, he ended up staying. Uh, got into some uh, interesting debates with, uh, with Oppenheimer about whom a big Film was just released uh, this yeah. summer. In fact, um, uh, has a uh, uh, caveat. Uh, what do you call it? A, um, a, a cameo <laughs> appearance. A cameo appearance oh. in that film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Jorge Luis Borges, uh, a Argentine poet and short story writer. Um, you would, you know, people who are just into fantastic literature, in particular of the 20th century turned to him as a kind of beacon. He is, uh, uh, was, was not a Nobel Prize winner, and many, many people say that's kind of the most amazing thing of all because he inspired so many Nobel Prize winners uh, th throughout the world, especially in Latin America, but throughout the world, um, that uh, uh, with, with his style of story writing, which is boundary-breaking, which is hard mm -hmm. to place. Um, and so these three characters had all sorts of interesting quirks to their, uh, to their life stories, and it became... A, a really fun journey for me to both tell all three of those life stories, but then weave them together into this one big book. Wow. So what are some ideas that you discuss in the book that can impact the way an average person uh, perceives their daily reality? Those of us who flunk second grade. Those of us who flunk second grade. I mean, one of the things that's going to hit us, first of all, and the kind of the most amazing thing is learning about, well, I try to try to use the the, the book to teach both the basic ideas of quantum mechanics, but also relativity. So the twin theories of the 20th century of 20th mm. century physics. Um, uh, quantum mechanics is mind bending to say the very least. Um, mm. it, the, uh, the idea that at, um, at its smallest level, the constituent particles that make up the world simply don't behave the way that, uh, that larger particles do. And I'm not just talking about they, they do weird things. It's more mm. than that. They actually seem to violate the most basic laws of logic. So when mm -hmm. you measure a fundamental particle uh, in any given place, 
it is false to say that when it went from point A, where you first measured it, to point B, that it took a particular path to get there. Mm. That's been proven now. The uh, All three Nobel Prizes in Physics that were given out last uh, September were given to people whose experimental work since the 1980s have established that. But it was already being established at the time that Werner Heisenberg did his work in, in, in 1925 and 1927, his most fundamental work. The that this is mind-blowing if you think about it it means that if we're if if this were true what happens at the quantum level if it were true of objects that are large like baseballs or airplanes or something like that when we uh, encounter them after a period of time of not having seen them they literally took every possible path or no path in order to get to where we uh we measure them and as weird as it sounds that's what happens at the quantum level there you go uh with heisenberg was it hard at the time to uh, include his uh, meth lab uh, sort of design? Does he ever say say my name in the book? No, I'm just kidding, people. That's a that's a breaking bad Heisenberg. That's a whole, different, Heisenberg. Show. Yes. That's a whole <laughs> different show. Stop it. Uh, so uh, Borges, uh, I'm not even saying that correctly, right? With an H sound, Borges. Borges. Okay. Yeah, there you uh, go. He's he's a literally literary figure. Yeah. Heisenberg's a scientific one yeah. making the math. No, I'm just kidding, people. Stop mm -hmm. it. Don't make a cult. Uh, and Kant's a philo philosopher. Um, it's kind of interesting that you took and merged those. And right. and how do you make that? Uh, how do you cook that mix? Since we're on a Breaking Bad callback, Joe. The way the way you cook it is you think about what is the implication for each of you know for each of these thinkers, writers, philosophers, uh, scientists for what we th we take to be reality itself. Like mm -hmm. we were just talking about in the case of Werner Heisenberg, there's implications when you think about, oh, wait a minute, down at the most micro small level, the world isn't behaving the way that we think it's behaving. Well, there's also implications for philosophy. That's a philosophical question. When we ask, what is the world as it is with when I haven't measured it, when I haven't thought about it? What is the difference between me, a being who lives in a body in a particular way and has to think about the world, right? What is what kind of steps do I have to take to start being correct about my presumptions and assumptions about the world the way it's out there? You mean and, I can't just uh, default to whatever I want and just make it up as I go along and just assume people, that you know there are people who believe that, Chris, but uh, <laughs> but this book is not for them, or at least it is for them, and it's trying to prove them something else. <laughs> <laughs> and that that plays into the, my next question. Yeah. Um. You know, in today's world, we live in this world of alternative facts uh you know we see uh a lot of attacks on truth uh you know we've had uh, there's authors that have written books that i think described it well where it's the death of expertise um and you know everyone's an expert in everything narcissism uh, is on a global rise at least narcissistic tendencies let's put it that way yeah. really tired of people saying that everyone's a freaking narcissist at this point it's only five percent of the population people come on uh but there is tendencies i think um social media certainly has contributed to a lot of those tendencies um so in in today's uh world of uh, you know, you have politicians that are bending reality. That seems to be a populist thing. Um, you know, it, everybody's everybody's kind of on the find your own truth. You know, they go on social media and they they just kind of find their vein of self um, self. Uh, you know, it, it it reinforces whatever they believe or whatever they think the reality is, and they can find lots of validation for it. So it's the the Dunning Krugers of the world not only can find their poison of whatever bullshit they want to believe, they can find a million other people that used to, uh, to believe in that. In fact, uh, there's a community that makes a joke that, you know, before the internet, the stupid people couldn't find each other. So it was easy to keep them, you know, 
under control. <laughs> now they can go on the internet. So why is, you know, your book important in keeping uh, people uh, down to reality and perception and understanding what is going on with their brains? Look, the, uh, it's a great question. I mean, the lessons that we learn from something as complex and, and expert necessary as, as quantum mechanics, in some ways you could say, well, what does that have to do with this macro reality that I live in that has mm -hmm. political vectors and, and, and you know, people getting engaging in conspiracy theories? And on the one hand, I'm not claiming that it does in the sense that you know, learning something about quantum mechanics is going to directly impact your ability to decipher the, 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 the real world as it is. Uh, on the other hand, it honestly has quite a lot to do with it. Because if you mm -hmm. can, to go back to the example that I used before, if an, a, a, a scientist as discerning, as important, as brilliant as Albert Einstein was so convinced that the world must be in a certain way, namely it must be smoothly extended in space and time in some fundamental way. And so convinced of that, that he said, no, what Werner Heisenberg and these others uh, are discovering about what we call now quantum leaps, uh, a quantum discontinuity, the fact that at a, a, a microscopic level, reality doesn't behave like that at all. He was so convinced of that, that he refused all scientific all scientific evidence uh, to the mm. contrary of his of, of his opinions until the day of his death. If that's the case for someone as brilliant and as discerning as, as Einstein, how much more likely is it that that confirmation bias of, of that sort is going to work for us mere mortals as we kind of venture out into the fraught world of politics and, as you say uh, very correctly, can find almost any uh, uh, depiction of reality that will fit our our, our bias that uh, that we're confirming it to out there on the internet. Yeah. So the, the truth of the matter is, yes, it's it's very likely to to work that way, and I'm hoping that the the cautionary tale of of these kind of scientists, these kind of philosophers, um, will help reverberate them and give us ways of thinking about reality that are going to help inure us to that sort of thinking. Let me ask you if this plays into what you're talking about in the book and, and these and these uh, gentlemen. Um, the one thing I I became aware of and started focusing on, partially this came from business innovation and trying to come up with ideas, and of course the realizing that I'm not the corner of all the great ideas in the world, which is you know most of them, but not maybe that right. Yeah, at least you know nine out of ten. Uh, <laughs> I also have narcissism down really well, uh, so. Um, there's, I, I tell this to my young nieces and nephews because that are, that are coming of age. When I sat down one day and I said, what, what, what should I tell them that's important to know? It's important to watch for in life. And I, and I, there's an axiom I use uh, of three things that are important to watch for in life. The things you know, and the, the, those are the things you know, you know, mm -hmm. right? There's the things you know, you don't know. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know trigonometry or, you know, geology very well. I, I know that I don't know that. And yeah. I really don't yeah. give a shit. Uh, number three <laughs> is the, and think other people that do. Uh, number three is minding the things you don't know that you don't know, mm -hmm. searching and seeking them out and trying to find them. And though, cause those are the ones that usually come right out of the blue and smack you in the face. And you're right. like, I didn't know that, uh, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, those are the things that usually hit you. And so sometimes searching for them or trying to educate or expand your, your reality, as you say, uh, is this factor, do what I just say, my little formula, does that factor into uh, what you're talking about in the book as well? I think it does factor, and I think it's really great advice, not just for your nieces and nephews, but for all nieces and nephews out there, right? I mean, mm -hmm. is is learning to, learning to 
keep some portion of your consciousness focused on what it could be, what 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 realm of reality could be out there that you really don't have any idea about. Mm-hmm. And that presuming that you do have some idea about is is likely getting things wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about um, for scientists or philosophers, but also for those of us just walking around trying to deal with the world as it is, as we find it. It's about intellectual humility. It's about mm-hmm. waiting, uh, waiting to see. It's about, um, uh, you know, just not presuming that uh, the next thing that's going to fire up across your internet screen is 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 the God given truth, and you're ready to make a pronouncement on it and have an informed opinion. No, maybe there's something that you're not ready to have an informed opinion about because you're not informed on it yet. Ah. <laughs> I like that. I, I, I like that because I, that's how I try and approach ideas nowadays. I'm like, wait, let's not jump to conclusion. Let's not pull the Dunning-Kruger. Let's get some more data. And I, I have people ask me, you know, I'll get like a message or something or email or something on social media. And people are like, hey, what do you think about this? You know, it's the latest whatever thing. I remember um, somebody wrote me during the Las Vegas shooter thing, mm-hmm. I think 2017. Um, somebody wrote me. And and I just woken up, and they had asked me to comment on on what was going on in Las Vegas, and I wrote a, a whole message back to them, going, uh, I don't know, there's, and they they go, I think there's a shooting in Vegas. I'm like, yeah, that's Vegas, you know. I just wrote this off the cuff thing to somebody as a reply, and then I, as I was about to press send, uh, you know, I was just like, yeah, whatever, it's Vegas. I'm sure it's no big deal, whatever. It's right. probably some bullshit, you know. Um, I was about to send. I was like, you know. Maybe I, should check Maybe I should go on social media and find out what the hell's going on. Right. And, uh, you know, that was an example of where I, you know, my brain clearly was like, hey, you need to maybe find out what's going on. I like this term you use, though, intellectual humility. Right. Tell us what that is, uh, if you if you could maybe give I mean, us a little bit more. Ways, if you think about it, you know, people, I, th- I think often if you were to say, look, what, what does science tell us about? And this goes kind of to the title of the book, right? It will t- tells us about reality. It tells us, it uses the tools of science that are so fantastic that have been developed over centuries now to plumb ever deeper into reality and tell us the truth about the world. Uh, but that kind of misses part of the fundamental picture of science, which is that Science, in order for science to work, there's something called the scientific method. Mm -hmm. And the scientific method is about making hypotheses, um, trying to go out and test those hypotheses, and being ready for them to be wrong. Um, And when they're wrong, looking around for a new hypothesis, uh, testing that, and maybe something that you've been convinced about for a long, long time, like, say, Newton's laws of physics that he derived in 1666. Maybe they're good for eternity, but you know what? We don't know. Or it may be that in 1905, along comes Albert Einstein and, and upturns the entire world by showing, well, no, actually, it's just that you weren't looking hard enough. And now here's a new set of laws that it, that explains the old ones and then explains all sorts of things that you were just kind of hiding under the rug because the old ones weren't explaining them. Intellectual humility, never deciding that you've reached the end. There's oh. always something new. Something can always change, the t- uh, uh, upturn the table again. Always. There you go. Uh, you know, I, that makes me laugh because I had seen a TikTok video of uh, some woman who was going, you know, we didn't have gravity until it <laughs> invented it. You're just like, what? It was so much fun. I mean, we yeah. just throw it around. It was great. Yeah, it was, it was great. He really, he really screwed things up, actually, when yeah. you think about it. Um, because, uh, you know, that gravity thing was, uh, you know, uh, we were having a lot of fun with that. But uh, he, he screwed the pooch on that one. Um, 
you know, the interesting thing about uh, all of this is, you know, you need to take and you need to take and understand. Um, uh, we need to take and look at uh, reality like you're talking about and where we go forward and we, um, you know, what more do we need to learn? Do we need to have a bigger picture? Do we need to understand things more? Um, an important aspect of what I approach, and I think a lot, what a lot of people um, don't do with their reality and science is I love how s people in science look at things as a theory. And so I've learned to talk about my ideas or what I believe in as like, well, this is my current theory on that. Right. Because I recognize it's evolving. And in the age that we talk about of Dunning-Kruger and uh, people living in their own private Idahos, they're always throwing shit at science lately. You know, the death of expertise, if you will, mm -hmm. um, where, they're, where they're like, well, you know, sometimes science is wrong. And you're like, no, science operates off a theory base where it's evolving and changing, as you mentioned before, That's and nice. could completely go a different way. You know, That's maybe, nice. I don't know, the gas runs out that supports... Uh, I don't know, I'm just making shit up. The sports <laughs> gravity, and like one day we'll be like, "Hey, I mean, uh, that or someone will vent a pill uh, that to, can make me less fatter and make me float. That would be nice. Uh, <laughs> if I could weigh about five pounds less or something, gravity wise, yeah. can we uh, get some help on that? So I love that concept. Do you want to address that where people well, yeah. kind of have and, this, and this uh, idea that you know that uh, of, of science skepticism out there? Um, I think what what people don't realize is that the skepticism that they're you know supposedly kind of using to debunk science is already built into science. That's like uh -huh. the very idea of science. Science is skepticism in practice. Science is, hey, this may not be right, but you know what? We're going to provisionally assume it's right because that assumption is helping us with the data so far. But you know what? There's a whole section of the data that's not crunching well. So we've got to be open-minded about that. And now we have to actually come up with a new explanation. That's what scientists do. They do it literally every day. So the idea that somehow, you know, that's actually, and maybe that's also on us. And when I say us, I mean, maybe the university folk mm -hmm. or people who are kind of, you know, talking about the way they do science. I think about this during the pandemic uh, uh, a lot. So much... Pro so much of the, the credibility problem with what was happening with the CDZ came from making pronouncements and then failing to say, this is based on what we currently know. This is based on our best guess right now. But as you just said, with when you're, you know, your approach to life, that it's my theory and it's evolving, that's always the case, especially for something that's moving as fast and is as, as um, politically and, and socially important as a pandemic slow down, right? We do, we, you know, of course you're going to need recommendations, but those recommendations can only be best based on our best science right now. And guess what? That could change. And we saw that over and over again. That's not a weakness of science. Yeah. Strength. Yeah, and it's interesting, this, this, this uh, attack that people have on it, you know, people don't remember how fluid that situation was and how everyone was kind of thrown off their off their rails right. and uh and then of course it was a it was a fast-moving death machine right. so um you know there's a lot of people that are like hey you know this lockdown was bad and they forget the the reality was is they had to do that because the hospitals would have been overwhelmed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with people that were sick i mean you would have had people maybe that were even in the hospital with other ailments, you know, maybe on kidney dialysis or cancer, you know, it was going to, it was going to overwhelm the system and you would have a collapse and we needed to stall time. We were buying time That's right, yeah. to try and try and get it. Otherwise it would have been, 
it would have been an apocalypse. Well, and in some cases, it was. It seemed to be at the time approaching yeah, those kind of numbers, right? I mean, yeah. think about New York in the first months of the uh, of the pandemic. That's it. What and that's remember the the phrase that was used at the time. That was one of the phrases that really went down and, and turned out to have been the correct way to think about it, flattening the curve. You try and slow yep. down the number of people getting it at one at one time so that hospitals can do their job, so that they can mm -hmm. try and save people, that they have enough respirators to be used. You know, I mean, this yeah. is, that's exactly right. Yeah. And and even then, you know, a lot of people through, uh, through shade and of course, you know, conspiracy and all the bad shit that went on, uh, which is sadly how people react to something that they, they don't understand or about something that is so horrific, they can't put their minds around it, which seems to be a default for a lot of people. Um, but in, you know, that's a really good example of people having a hard time with the reality of it. Because their reality has suddenly been changed. And, you know, even now I, I hear people say, you know, when do we get back to what life was like before then. I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's ever going to come back. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the thing, the interesting thing about COVID was you had so many scientists that were still wary, you know, even then it, when it seemed like we passed the worst of it, then that new variation came along that actually went worse yeah. with the sicknesses and deaths uh, right. and it went next level. And, you know, even now you hear of, you know, they've come out with, I think there are four or five different vaccines now mm -hmm. they've issued maybe four four or five um and you know and scientists are like still going hey you know things you know some new variant can come out that then ends up going next level it's very so, likely that we'll have to you know yeah. that every year we'll see a new or at least yeah. slightly uh, adjusted version of the vaccine which has you know been the status quo for influenza vac vaccines for some time now yeah you know what you were talking about before and i think this is an extremely important point um our kind of investment in a very solid absolutely confident belief in a notion of reality that this is the way that it has to be is also a defense mechanism. It's a defense uh -huh. mechanism against, against uncertainty, against an uncertainty that's sort of in some ways you have to think about it built into our ability to know the world. And that kind of gets us back to both, well, very specifically, Werner Heisenberg, uh, the principle that bears his name is called Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Uh -huh. And, and what he not just argued, but showed um, mathematically was that there is a built-in uncertainty to how closely we can observe the world. Uh, you get down and you can finally nail down with absolute precision where a particle is, you're never going to know how fast it's moving. Or you can figure out exactly how fast it's moving. Guess what? You're never going to know exactly where it is. And that's impossible. It's impossible to do both. So that uncertainty you get to a certain limit, you can't get any more certain than that. And that principle is also found in the poet uh, Borges, in his work, in Kant's uh, understanding of our relationship to the world as it is out there. There you go. Uh, you know, there's uh, this line always comes back to me a lot, the line from the movie Network. Um, and there's two there's two facets to it. The part where you're I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore and go yell and, and scream and, and make change. Uh, but this always reminds me, this discussion like this reminds me of the of the segment of that line that precedes it, um, you know, where he talks about, you know, we sit in the house and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller. And all we say is, please leave us alone mm. in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel belts and radios. And I won't say anything. Just just leave us alone. Give me a, a modicum of peace, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, you know, the world's moving faster. AI, uh, I, I think, might 
challenge our uh, our our thinking of reality or might change our reality. I like your thoughts on that in a second, but Absolutely. you know, it seems like what we're talking about is is that people have this that, like you mentioned, that security, that safety. It, it could also be laziness too. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus, I don't have to learn anything more. I mean, I flunked second grade. <laughs> the callback of this show. Uh, it sounded better than kindergarten. We wrote the job. Yeah, but second second grade. It's, you know, there's there's a certain stature that you you arrive at. Who flunks that for crazy? <laughs> the very idea that there's tests that you can flunk in second grade is already a problem. Come yeah, on, who's testing second who's graders? Testing you second evil grade. people. Hey, we need a show on that. Yeah, yeah. Get in that sixty minutes. Um, so, uh, uh, so yeah, we, we need to have less lazy brains and I think we need to recognize our laziness. Is that what we need to do? We need to recognize that we're not living in reality. And are we ever going to live in re- Like if I read your book, am I suddenly going to have an epiphany? I'm, about, I'm living in reality you know, and I'm not doing any of my own stupid shit. Or do we have to constantly fight and claw to go, what is reality and live in the present? And then I think that's, it's more the latter, right? It's, it's the understanding that, you know, what's going to set us uh, on the wrong path is the belief that we either already have access to that ultimate reality or that we yeah. can ultimately get there as opposed to understanding that, our reality is always going to be subject to new knowledge. It's always going to be subject to interpretations, to new perspectives that ultimately, and if you will, that's because the word is ultimate in the title, what that ultimate nature of reality is, it's relational. It means Mm -hmm. that we are always in relations with others when we are coming up with our version of reality. And anytime we go back to it and try and say, no, this is it, this is the way it is and the way it's (laughs) always going to be, right? Then, you know, next next thing we know, we may have a new perspective that's arising. And and, and being ready and open to that and Ah, say, ready and open, ready and open, you know, that this doesn't mean that you can't have passion. This doesn't mean that you can't, you know, argue with conviction for the things that you believe in, but you're listening to the other side. You're open to those other perspectives when they come around very important i'm trying to do that with politics more and more my audiences of course heard me talk about this before i've i've gone from one side to the other and now i find myself in the middle mm-hmm. uh, and i i'm trying to i try to look at both parties and what they're doing and i see myself as an american is the most mm-hmm. important part of that equation i don't see myself as a party person although i am yeah, moderate democrat full disclosure mm-hmm. um but i find myself at the very middle where i'm looking at both parties and i i don't like either extremes of either party but i I try and look at people now as an american uh, which is the most important party folks above all uh and i and i say okay what what is this person on right or left trying to accomplish what do they want Mm -hmm. and what do they what do they really want not what they're trying to apply it and so um then from there i can go well if this is important to them this is what they're trying to achieve it but the way they're going about it is really the wrong way mm-hmm. or a way that we can't meet in the middle how can we bridge that gap and and negotiate something where we can all just get along uh in the classic words of of that one gentleman um do you think that ai uh is going to uh really give us some challenges to reality it's probably going to rock our world if it hasn't already. If you, if you watch what's going on, even I, who tries to keep an open mind at what we've been talking about, uh, I'm just, just white knuckling, gripping the roller coaster ride right now, just going for the love of God. Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, is it going to become harder for us to, you know, 
get out of our ways? Are we going to become more stuck in them? Or are we going to be a huge separation of minds? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. it's going to get better before it gets I mean, <laughs> going to get worse before it, get be- it gets better. Sounds like my first five marriages. Right. <laughs> and I think I think the issue there is precisely, and you know, this is not far afield from what we're talking about at all. Mm-hmm. Um, if if your conviction is that you've got access to some ultimate version of what reality is, and you engage as we often do, um, as it turns out in retrospect, you might find out that you've just been engaging with uh, opinions that are chatbot generated, uh, <laughs> right? or that you've been looking at images that have been doctored up by an extremely sophisticated AI, oh, yeah. something else, uh, so-called deep fakes. Mm-hmm. Um, that prior conviction about access to reality is going to make it more and more difficult for you to autocorrect, right? More and more difficult yeah. to step back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not getting the full picture here. Yeah. Uh, this idea, the self-questioning, of maybe I'm not getting the full picture, this couldn't be more important in an age when political mm-hmm. opinions can be flash generated and spread like lightning around the, uh, oh, around yeah. the internet when they can be backed up by, uh, let me talk to this uh, image generator and say, make me an image of such and such politician with the face of this doing the following action, right? I mean, um, that's what AI is capable of. And the fact that we put so much credence in our prior convictions before getting into conversations makes it all the more difficult to debunk uh, lies that spread faster and faster. This is why people who are in this field and and thinking about cybersecurity and thinking about divisiveness and the uh, internet talk about pre-bunking instead Mm -hmm. of debunking, right? Giving you a kind of if you will, almost philosophical inoculation that leads you to ask these questions prior to being exposed to them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was, was it Churchill says like it's around the world. I think it's cited to several people, but uh, like it's around the world, uh, halfway around the world before the truth even gets up out of bed or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and with deep fakes, as you said, deep fakes, AI, um, it's, there's, I mean, it's going to get crazy, man. Uh, I see, uh, Joe Rogan, who of course is the number one podcast in the world, I see on TikTok all the time. They're constantly deep faking his voice. And you can tell because you watch the lips, yeah. and of course you can. You're like, this doesn't seem like something Joe would do on a show. Mm-hmm. And like I see advertisers, there these aren't you know these aren't big reputable advertisers, um, but advertisers you know hawking some weird ass product. Right. I see them, you know, that's how I know it's not. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he didn't do that on a show because he he should have gotten paid for it. Mm-hmm. But you'll see there it's re- become really popular to deep fake him. Um, and they'll, you know, they use it for everything. They'll use it for all sorts of disinformation philosophy. You know, we're <clears throat> those of you watching the video 10 years from now, we're right now in the midst of Israel's 9-11 with the, a, a massive uh, a horrific attack from Hamas and the back and forth. And in this, in these last few days, we've seen this, uh, um, this rocket that exploded that killed, you know, 500 people-ish uh, at, a, um, at the Gaza Strip Hospital there. Um, and the blame has been going back and forth of who it was. And, and very quickly, it was blamed on Israel because <clears throat> they were bombing you know, the Hamas in Gaza. But, you know, there's all sorts of different accounts that are going on now. It seems, it seems there's a few different versions. I, I was on TikTok earlier today. And somebody had some whole sound analysis version that, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm, I'm questioning what the agenda is there. Uh, and I, I've had to kind of take a, a pinpoint on it because people have asked me, what do you think about this? And, and I've had to go, hey, I, 
I need to not read knee jerk to whatever. I mean, there's there's a whole post analysis people are going to do with this between scientists yeah. and yeah. governments and and you don't know who to believe anymore. Sometimes, really, when it comes down to it, um, you know, if you've if you've run enough CIA statements on anything, you you know, maybe maybe the U.S. government sometimes uh, does spread disinformation. We all do, I guess. But uh, um, you know, we're living in that time where information moves fast and. You, see, you need to maybe take a step back and go, I don't know, maybe we should figure it out first. Chris, thank you so much for saying that. I mean, I couldn't agree more. It yeah. is really the faster information is going, the, the faster those lies that Churchill talked about fly around the world, the more it's incumbent on us not to make decisions like that on, on you know, at the moment that someone tells us we have to make a decision. No, wait a minute. This is going to evolve. We know it's going to evolve, right? Um, fact checking has to be involved. The fact checking of the fact checking has to be involved. The and and what's really the case that you were just talking about, just so illustrative about that, is that every single one of those moments was characterized by someone saying, "Ah, I got the truth. This is it. I know it now." Right? Death I'm of expertise. I'm one hundred percent certain now. Everyone's this, an expert, right? Exactly. Everyone's an expert. No, how about not being an expert, but trusting that, and not just trusting, investing in the idea that. You know, news sources that fact check themselves and say that they're wrong are probably, you know, after are probably not a bad thing. Right. Yeah. And say, hey, you know, I've got a whole section of my payroll is dedicated to proving me wrong. That might be a good thing. Uh, and 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 that's in some ways what I was saying before about science. That's the point of science. When we do an experiment, the whole yeah. point of the experiment is repeatability. Right. So mm -hmm. do it again and do it again and wait for the false, the falsified version. Wait for the version that comes out and says, wait a minute, we didn't get those uh, same results. And you know what? You mm -hmm. don't hide that, that, that you put that forward and you say, explain, explain why it didn't come out this way. Yeah, the news media has a challenge with that these days. Uh, and it, it, I think it's the same with science. It's the death of expertise. Everyone's an expert on everything. You know, I, I meet people now that, you know, they'll tell me something and I'll be like, and immediately you'll be able to go, you're getting your news and your politics mm -hmm. uh, information feed from memes on TikTok, aren't you? Right. And, and they'll be like, well, yeah. yes. Yeah. Why, why, why wouldn't yeah. I? <laughs> I found some guy. And, you know, we have a lot of great journalists. We have Pulitzer Prize winners on the show. Uh, we've had, you know, brilliant people like yourself who put in tens, you know, maybe hundreds of hour, thousands of hours of, of, of digging and, and, you know, playing with these ideas, exploring them, researching them is the word I'm looking for. Good. And, um, you know, uh, there's peer review uh, in science. There's peer review in news mm -hmm. where, you know, sometimes when a news channel does get it wrong, we're human people. I don't know if you've checked lately, but we yeah. are not infallible. Um, although some people think they are, maybe me. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the peer reviews are important. And, and sometimes we get it wrong. And that's where I think people really fuck it up is they go oh well you know science got this wrong or science yeah. got you know they yeah. nitpick it with their armchair thing but this this guy on uh, tiktok who's uh, in no, his exactly. mom's basement you know yeah, yeah. uh he's 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 got it mm -hmm. do you think that uh i know we're going a little long here uh but my final question for you do you think that one of the problems with these uh, these uh, reality things and when we search for them is sometimes people believe that the reality is just too shocking or so overwhelming to come with them that they embrace conspiracy theories that reality is 
too much or why why is it that people embrace conspiracy theories and, and go on their own private idaho of yeah. reality i mean that that is <clears throat> conspiracy theories in some ways is the uh the ultimate um, version in the political sphere of what I'm talking about when I say in the title of the book, The Rigor of Angels, uh, this um, comes from, a, from a from a Borges story, and at the and it's a story about a conspiracy theory, about a vast conspiracy theory that sort of takes over the world. And the point of the story is that it actually ends up changing reality, uh, seeping into the world and changing our objects and our physical uh, experience of them because the because the conspiracy is so strong, because it's so convincing, because the rigor that it reveals in the world is so captivating captivatingly simple and pure and perfect that everyone ends up falling in love with and 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 and, and believing it mm. what is his point and that's where the title of the book comes is that humanity as he says in that story forgets and forgets again there's a rigor out there but it's not a rigor of angels it's a rigor of chess masters in other words it's a rigor that we created for ourselves and then we turn around and we're surprised to find it in the world and we attribute it to something even grander than ourselves so conspiracy theories are something we're very natural and good at Right. We, 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 we think that the world is kind of created in a certain way and we're very attracted to those. We're mm -hmm. very attracted to that all encompassing, simple explanation that's going to uh, uh, make us not have to do the, all the fussy work of, uh, of figuring out all the details. Right. Don't uh -huh. the details. It's all written out here and you're never you're never going to have to think about it again. But science tells us something else. You're going to have to think about it again and again. And after that, another time, you're going to have to keep on doing it. And that last kind of that last tell-all, that 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 story that's going to explain it all, it's never going to come up. You're you're always mm -hmm. going to be looking for something else. Yeah, you see that you see it in the, like the nine eleven conspiracies. I remember my approach to nine eleven was actually uh, assisted in my political journey too. Uh, I was, you know, a, a capitalist. I still am a capitalist uh, CEO and runner of business, and felt like I was in the right party for that sort of uh, thing. And then 9/11 happened, and I, I questioned my reality. I'm like, wait, I thought we were the greatest country in the world, and yada yada yada, all this stuff I've been sold. Um, why, why do people in the world hate us? And what's going on there? And why are they attacking uh, mm -hmm. our stuff? Other people wanted, and, and it actually changed my politics and changed my outlook on the world and trying to have a more wor world view, a more it, trying to understand my reality or reality, not my reality, reality out there more. And um, some people took a uh, uh, shock to it where the horror was so unimaginable and overwhelmed. I think it might have been easier for them to close down and go, well, you know, it was the. I don't know, the alien, you know, whatever sort of right. BS they made up. Uh, John F. K. our current president, I'm sure knows from the QAnon people. <laughs> don't do that, people. Um, so any thoughts on that? I don't know, as we go. Absolutely. It's this, it's, this, it's this fear in the face of the shock of reality that, uh, you know, because reality, weird things can happen. Something new can happen at any, any point. But if it really then undermines the way that you have been thinking about the world systematically for so long, I guess there's broadly broadly uh, described two different ways that you can go about dealing with that experience one is to, to retrench react in horror kind of just uh, excise any of that newness out of the mm -hmm. world and the other is you know to, to say well wait a minute maybe there's something about the way that i was thinking about the world that needs adjustment maybe i've got to open up and change a little bit and so i'm hoping with this book you know with all the stories that that, that are in it with the uh, philosophy that's in it with the 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 science that's in it that i'm going to be trying to convince people to take that latter approach there you go 
and uh you know maybe we can fix uh, help address conspiracy and the and what goes on with the lazy brains of dunning crew in the world final pitch out to people to buy the book and your dot com as we go out so um the dot com is william com, and the book the rigor of angels is really about everything that chris and i have been talking about and uh it's it's also a hope very much a fun read it should be filled with stories and should be a page page turner so i hope you tune in there you go. Order up the book, folks. We need we need more smarter people in the world because, uh, you know, there's what is the old line from George Carlin? It's my favorite line. Uh, think how dumb the average person is and realize 50 percent of the people are dumber than that. Uh, don't be one of those people. Um, we need more smarter people. We need more people living reality is the world that uh, goes different there. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show, Bill. We really appreciate it, man. Very insightful. Thank you so much, Chris. It was really a pleasure. There you go. And come back for your future books. We'd love to have you as well. Uh, I'm sure you've got some other great stuff cooking on the thing there, but continued success with this book. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, linkedin.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and expand your reality there and uh, sign up for the newsletter on the LinkedIn newsletter. Go to uh, Chris Foss one at TikTok. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.